Hello, my name is Terry Irwood, and this is my beautiful wife, Sheila Irwood, of almost 29 years come November the 12th. And uh, we have three children. Honey, you want to tell them about our children? Yes, uh, we have Elise, who is 25 and married to a wonderful man, James Kelly. Uh, they live in Ventura. We have Elijah, that is 15, and Ella Grace, who is 11. Um, yeah, that's our kids. Terry and I met as 15-year-olds. Um, he was on a trip with some boys in Florida. We're from Georgia. We're both from Georgia. We lived in the same county of Georgia, but we were on a trip to Florida. He with some friends without adult supervision for the first time, and I was on a family vacation with a girlfriend's family. And we stopped at a hotel looking for a particular young man that the family I was with was looking for. And we walked out by the pool at this hotel, and I saw the cutest little boy I'd ever seen, young man. Little boy. 15 years old. Uh, that's where I met Terry, in Daytona, Florida. And um, that was where our story began. Well, one of the things that I'm most passionate about at Cornerstone and being an elder there is you guys. And all of you just bring so much to uh, the experience of be, being together as a community of believers, a called out group that are on mission together. And I've been a part of so many of your lives over the last uh, 11 years. And I've gotten to know you guys in good times and bad times, hard times. And at the end of the day, I, I have the privilege of laying my head on the pillow and praying and just thinking about uh, all the great opportunities that God's given us together. And so I'm very passionate about seeing Him do more in us and as we um, live out the mission together and the things that He challenges us to and the things that will happen in our life, both good and bad, both hard and, and easy, that we can celebrate and that we can uh, rejoice in and we can be a part of building the kingdom together. So that's what I'm most passionate about. And I would say that I'm most passionate about um, God and His Word and uh, the Great Commission, where He's told all of us to go into all the world and make disciples. It's been a privilege to uh, link arms with you and uh, to take the gospel to our neighbors, to one another, to our children, and trusting God for what, for His kingdom purposes to be fulfilled as we, as we link arms together. Well, a couple of things that I'm passionate about us being known for uh, in the community. One is that we have an infectious love for Jesus Christ and that we have the hope of eternal life and we have the message of the cross and w that we just uh, are passionate about getting into and having opportunities uh, to share that greatest message ever given and to demonstrate the love uh, that Christ has for us that he also will have for them. And the second thing is just uh, a real passion for raising up the next generation. We are gifted with so many young people in our church, uh, watching our students and even in our children's ministry, just watching how uh, they are using their gifts to bless the body, but how they're also being challenged. Uh, being challenged in their faith every day in their different environments and watching them and being prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within them. And so uh, that's a passion that I hope we will be known for is not only that our adults love Jesus, but that this next generation uh, of, of young people are actually on fire 
for the gospel. Well, you kind of go mm, video this morning and then you got to hear me speak too. That's a double whammy. That's bad. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for you coming this morning and being a part with us. You probably had a dozen or so other opportunities that came your way this morning, but you chose to be here. And I pray that when you leave, that you will not regret your time that you spent here with us this morning. If you're a first-timer or if you are, uh, have been around for a couple of weeks, uh, we are in a series called We the Church. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the why and the who of the church. And uh, last week, we talked about as a people, a called out group of the church, uh, we should be people of the word. And today we're going to talk about uh, we the church are people of faith. And I think what I said in the video, I forgot what I even said in the video, but uh, what I said in the video, I think is, is my message this morning, uh, that we are part of this history of Faith. We are the church, and as we look back to our ancestors, and we look back thousands of years, and we see the, the trace of history uh, through the years, what we see is we see men and women, we see teenagers, young and, uh, young and old, we see children of all ages live this journey of faith. We, we see them come into history. And a lot of times being called out and called into the family of God. And that calling into the family of God is a calling that demands faith. And it's the life of faith. And so this morning when we think about how we as a church can live by faith, we need to look at those who have done it before us. And then we also need to look at those who are doing it now. So we're going to cover those two things. But as I thought about our history and I thought about all of these stories, there were a few things that were in common with these men and women and these teenagers and children that I think are commonplace for us today in this journey of faith. And I think for us to, to really trust God and believe that we are on mission with Him, these things should be common. And at first, I think all of these people that God has used through the past to write this story, to write this redemptive story of Him coming and creating a people and calling them to Himself so that they can live a life committed to Him and committed to the Great Commission. He gives us some opportunities to express that faith back. I think with all of these people, they shared some degree of faith whether it was childlike or whether it was even in fear, it came to a point where they showed forth faith in God. I think another thing that was common was these people were obedient at some point in their faith journey. I think that's so important for us today as we figure out as a people and as a church how to live by faith. Faith is going to call us to obedience. And at some point in the history of these people and in our lives, God calls us to obedience. Another thing that 
I think what's common to most of them was this crisis of faith. What I mean by that is a long faith journey, there are these moments that we come to that we can't see beyond the next step. There are these crises of faith where the proverbial faith line is drawn in the sand. And we either step across, not with blind faith, but with faith in God knowing that He has our next step. Or we stay on this side of the line. I think today, if we're to have great faith as a church, be prepared for times of crisis in our faith. Because as we look back through history, we see it, whether it's with Abraham or Moses or or with Ruth that we just finished studying. There are moments when our faith is going to be put to the test. And that's common among all of us as sojourners in this life of faith. Another thing that was common were they were part of a bigger story. You see, they didn't get to create their own story. No, God had already written the story, but they were included in it. So today, God has written the story. The story doesn't change, right? But the exciting part, just like for Gideon and the others, the exciting part is we today get to play a part in that great redemptive story. It's not over. Jesus is not over with the stories of our lives working through the church and in faith. It continues. We don't need to be bummed out because we know the end of the story and we know all the parts in between. No, in fact, it ought to excite us because we do know the end of the story. And we can strive by faith to the very end. You see, every day, this assignment of faith will require us to trust God. You see, I think for many of us, we go through life and and we don't stop and think, or maybe I'm just, you know, one of those that I'm so stupid bored and that I, you know, I just don't have anything better to do. I probably ought to get a real job. But I probably don't have anything better to do than just stop and reflect on questions like this. God, why? Why am I born? Why am I born now? Why did you choose to bring me into history now? Why did you choose to give me these parents that you gave me? Why did you choose, Lord, to to open up my spiritual eyes to begin this journey of faith. Why, Lord, out of all the people, why, why, why would you pursue me? Why would you call me unto yourself? Why would you offer me this wonderful story of salvation? This wonderful plan of salvation? Why, Lord? You see, I can't control any of those things. I can't control one of them. And because I can't control them, I have to take them by faith. 
I have to believe that there's a bigger story. I have to believe that God has a purpose in what he's doing in my life and in the life of you, his called out people. You see, we, we tend to live in America around things that we can control. And the whole redemptive story is that God throws us into this and we can't control it. We have to walk and live by faith. And so if we're going to walk and live by faith, what do, we, what do we need to do? Where do we need to begin? Well, I think the best place to start is if faith gets its power, if faith gets its confidence in its object, then it would make all the reason in the world that we start our faith back to the object of our faith, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is God himself. And that's the love of the gospel. That is our starting point. You see, if God calls us to live by faith, he also prepares us to live by faith. He also allows us the gifts that he gives us to walk by faith. And I think what happens a lot in our life is we get distant from the story of the gospel. That life continues to move on. And and the further away we get from the, the time in which God opened our eyes and he first revealed himself to us, And like a lost prodigal, we ran to Jesus and we we embraced him. We get further from that message. We get further from the gospel and our hope and our faith begins to be challenged. You see, it was this gospel message that's so compelling and so powerful in our lives that produces this love and desire to live by faith. I think of my own story. I think of a wayward young man trying to find hope and trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And raised in a single parent home with two older brothers and watching my father leave at eight. Getting confused and mixed up, trying to find love and satisfaction in what the world had to offer through my teenage years, and then coming to the reality that that pursuit was leaving me empty inside. And then for Jesus to use the gospel message, the power of his love to transform my life. This whole knowledge, this whole revealing of himself to me, was powerful enough to change the course of my life. Is it powerful enough to direct my life now? 33 years later? Is that faith still powerful enough? Is that moment when God reached out and embraced me as this child? Is that how I live today? I mean, I couldn't wait to tell people about the Savior. I couldn't wait to express my faith to people. In fact, 
If truth be known, I probably shared the story of God more times in the first few weeks and months of my salvation experience than I have in the last couple of years combined. Why is that? Because I was in touch and connected with the love of God. And this love that God showed me generated in me this faith that made me want to follow him, that made me want to do whatever I could, whatever I could give, whatever time, whatever resources. I wanted to live this journey by faith. So my question to us today, I got several, so hang on. One of the questions I have for us this morning is does the gospel motivate us at any cost to love God and others? Do we love Jesus this morning like we did when he first revealed himself to us? You see, to be consistent with the story of God, we have to share the story. Do we? Do we walk by faith? Do we believe enough in the story that we're willing to tell the story unashamedly? So we need to begin with the gospel. We need to begin thinking about all the things that God has provided for us and all the things that God has done for us in this life. But it can't end there, right? It's not enough just to believe in God and say that you love God. But we, as a church, we have to step up and we have to prove it. Our faith needs action. You see, if we're to be a people that live by faith, we're going to have to recognize and we're going to have to overcome the challenges and the threats that weaken our faith. If you have your Bibles, if you're not, Henry's got some in the back. Raise your hand. Turn to James chapter 2, Greg and David have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and get one. James chapter 2. So at the end of the day, this love we have for God, if you've been a believer long enough, you know that this world and this culture we live in just constantly fights against that love, constantly tears us down and moves us away. And culturally, there there are challenges that, that arise throughout our life that challenge and that weaken our faith. James is going to talk about some of these. And then I'm going to add a couple of more uh, to what James is saying. But I think if we're going to be a people that live by faith, we're going to have to overcome these challenges to our faith. We're going to have to recognize that these are real enemies. They're out to weaken our faith in this journey that we're on. As I was reading in, in this section of James, the illustration of the huddle came to my mind. So I'll read the verses in a minute, but 
this illustration kind of helped me put this section of scripture in the context. And if you're familiar with football, you know that you know, after every play, each team huddles, right? So you have an offensive team that huddles and you have a defensive team that huddles. And within that huddle, each team kind of has their play and each team kind of, you know, is waiting on the coach and is waiting from word on high to come down to the coach and then the coach relays the message in. And here they are in this huddle. And I know on the West Coast, you guys don't huddle. You call plays from the line of scrimmage. But work with me here. In the South, we still turn around and hand the ball off. And we still huddle. But this huddle, right? And this, and this team, they're, they're in this huddle. And they're calling to play. And they're wanting to run this play. And so, it kind of reminded me um, about this set of Scripture. I probably could go there, huh? Beginning in verse 14. James chapter 2, it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith. Great, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now James covers a couple, of illustra- uh, a couple of illustrations there that I think are true challenges today to our faith. And the first one he covers in verses 16 and 17, and I'm going to reread that through the message. It says, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? So our first challenge is living selfishly. You see, when an opportunity comes up, even like this morning, the opportunities that uh, Todd talked about, do we respond first with, with this question that runs through our mind? What's the least I can do? I think it's what James is saying, right? Oh, there's a need. 
wait a minute. I know, I'll pray for you. That's a good one. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. How many times have we said that and not done it? What about, you know what? Hey, I'll write a check. If I don't have to do it, if I don't have to participate, if I don't have to take a faith step, maybe I'll just write a check. You see, one of the challenges to our faith is when we live selfishly, it will weaken our faith. Because it will become about us and not about the bigger story. It's called bottom-run Christianity. We We start with the least of what we can do. Going back to my huddle illustration. When the play is called and the quarterback looks at everybody, the selfish, the selfishness goes around the huddle. Because that wide receiver goes, you know what? They're running the play to the other side. I'll just do the least I can to get by. I won't stop the play, but I'll do the least. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two. It's a spiritual challenge. Verses 19 and 20. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand and glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you completely sitting back, complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful. That's just great. Demons do that. What good does it do them? Use your heads. Don't you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? You see, the second biggest challenge, I think, to our faith is a spiritual challenge. It's we become consumers of knowledge as Christians. We become smarter Christians, but not necessarily more devoted Christians. This is a huge challenge for us this morning because we are a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, and we do put emphasis on teaching. But the threat to our faith is that it can be all about learning more and having knowledge and becoming smarter. We can also become consumers of programs that, that meet our felt wants. Going back to the huddle, we can call the play and stay in the huddle. We can know how the defense is going to line up. We can know all this information. But we never break the huddle. The third challenge that will weaken our faith along this journey is an attitude of safety and protection. You see, we can play it safe by not having ongoing relationships with people who don't believe like we do. See, in the church and and in this huddle, it's great because the play is called and, and we stay in this huddle. And everybody in the huddle and everybody apart across from us in this pew, they know the play. And we're comfortable in the huddle, right? Because it doesn't require anything but knowledge. 
We build these safety nets around us. We build these safety nets around our kids. And we make the world bad and we make church good. And before we know it, our faith is weakened because we never get into the action. Another fear is, another threat is insecurities and fear. Throughout my life, I've made decisions, unfortunately, based on my insecurities and fear. So many opportunities in my life passed by where I had the privilege of demonstrating God's love, and I let it go. I've seen four neighbors I grew up with all around my age buried. All four of those I had an opportunity when my life changed to tell them the story. I didn't do it. I feared what they would think. I was insecure in my own faith enough to believe that they needed to hear this message. Insecurities and fear will weaken our faith. Then the last challenge is we overanalyze God's plan. I call it the paralysis of analysis. And some of us, we get stuck with trying to figure out what God would have us do and what he might not have us do. And, and we talk about it, we pray about it, we get others to talk about it. We study ways in which surely God would work. We look for it. It's kind of like the huddle. Plays called. We know what the defense is running. We're ready to do it. Everybody's on the same page. We're excited. And then all of a sudden, the whistle blows and the flag goes in the air and the referee says, five-yard penalty, delay of game. You didn't break the huddle. You see, for us, sometimes we can overanalyze God's plan. And when we do that, it weakens our faith. It keeps us in the huddle. We've got to break out of the huddle because we're missing all the action. You see, when we trust God and when we walk in faith, God will remind us that we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. And this is kind of how I want to wrap it up today. As a church and as a people, you see, we're a special group of people. Each one of you, you have a significant assignment. You're playing out a role in this role of God's redemptive history. Hebrews 11 gives us a little taste of, of what that looks like in the lives of those that have gone before us. But in our lives too, we can see that we're part of something bigger. We're part of a bigger story than our own. You see, we've been written into God's story. Each of your stories this morning, they're different. Each one of them requires a different amount of faith. And what I love about Hebrews chapter 11 is when 
I'm struggling in my faith. I'm struggling in my first love for Jesus. I'm struggling in, in what he's asked me to do, and I'm, I'm fighting through my fear and insecurities. I go to Hebrews 11. That's kind of my go-to. And I start reading what many of us refer to as the Hall of Faith. And you start reading, and every life story begins with by faith. Depending on what translation it says, some of them might say by an act of faith. And you just kind of, you start hearing these stories and you start getting excited, right? By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah. And here you go, on and on. And I thought about how cool is it that God would leave that in his word for us to encourage us in his faith journey. And then it dawned upon me. History's not over. God's continuing to write the story, and He's writing the story with us this morning. Last week I had this thought. I don't have many, but last week I had this one thought. Wow. Hebrews 11 was really just kind of a brag fest for God. It was God. It was the, 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 the recorder of Hebrews was expressing God's desire and passion for the testimonies of His people to be known. And I thought, how cool is that? God's doing that today in the life of Cornerstone. God's continuing to write the story. And I thought about, I don't have to go to Hebrews 11. I can look around and see my brothers and sisters. And I thought, wonder what it would sound like. wonder what it would look like as God began telling the testimony of His people. And I thought about our people. And I thought about by faith, Gary, using his cancer treatments to share the story of God with other patients. I thought about faith, by faith, Tom prepares each week to teach God's story to children and hope that they grow up to love the Lord in spite of his serious diabetic attacks. By, by an act of faith, Lori shares her gift of painting with young ladies who've been rescued out of slavery so they can hear the story of Jesus' love for them. Think about Ruth and her faith as she walks into the local elementary school with her Bible in hand to share the gospel to a children's club here in Seaman. By an act of faith, I think about Bobby and Rochelle inviting a young pregnant mom to live with them so that she would not abort the baby and they could share the story with her of Jesus' love. I thought about the faith that Keith uses his passion for mountain biking to invite others to join him so he can tell the story of the gospel. I think by an act of faith, Rick and Keith and Pat and Janet, they give of their time and resources to collect and distribute food each week over in Jack's shoes while sharing the gospel message. By faith, Danny makes himself available to the guys at work who need to talk about difficult issues so he can share the story in the midst of their situations. Is this getting exciting yet? You see how this can ignite our faith? You see how this 
calls us back to our first love. You see how this brings us all into the game and now we break from the huddle? You see how it takes all different types and measures of faith? That we don't have to be the golden girl or the golden boy. We're all golden in God's eyes. We're all on mission for the Great Commission. By faith, Brian believes the motorcycle community needs to hear the story. So he has a meeting every Saturday night in Jack's Shoes called Connections. And he connects with them. He tries to connect the story of God into their life. By faith, Jeff and Richard reach out to our veterans who are struggling and suffering. And they do this to share the story with them. As as a Hebrew writer says, time won't permit me to go on and on and on. And this morning, time won't permit me to include so many of you into the story. But let me say this to include more of you. By faith, we and many of you give sacrificially over and above to missionaries who share the gospel around the world. By faith, many of you daily, you enter into workplaces that are hostile to God. By faith, Many of you have given up a relationship with a special person or maybe some old friends because in telling the story, they chose to quit hanging out with you. You see, these are, these are acts of faith. This is what we call walking out our faith. And it's with you and us. It's we the church. How are we the church going to live out our faith? There's some good starting points, right? Our church is a whole cornerstone. By faith, we care for the orphans. You heard Todd speak about that. One morning, I challenged you to go to our children's ministry and go up and down the rooms and see how God has brought the world to cornerstone through orphans and adoption. It's a beautiful sight. By faith and acts of faith, we respond to those at risk. One of the ways that Shannon and her team at Forever Found, we partner with them and help them as they rescue young girls and boys out of slavery. By faith, we share the story cross-culturally. We have a Spanish congregation. 22% of Simi Valley is Hispanic. By faith, we believe we can reach those 22%. I don't speak a lick of Spanish, but by faith, God is using us to reach them. By faith, we, can, we continue to send people out all over the world to build the kingdom of God. You see, that's just a little taste of what it's like to live by faith. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, I haven't experienced that. I haven't haven't seen that lately in my life. I would invite you into my car, but it's full of me sitting around in all the seats because I would say a lot of those challenges we talked about earlier, I've let get the best of me. 
And this morning, I'd love to stand before you and say that my faith has been spectacular. But I battle the same as you. But when I began writing that, a new sense of urgency, a new sense of passion, a new sense of desire welled up within me. That together we can link arms and together by faith we can live out this story that God has written us into. So today, if you're convicted by this message, if you're convicted by where your faith is and who you've placed or what you've placed your faith in lately, here's a couple of steps you can take with you on your way out. Revisit your faith journey. Recall those sweet moments with Jesus. Pray for your heart and your love conditioned toward God and yourself. Abide in Christ. Don't be the tree and the fruit. Be the fruit. Abide in Christ. Live in the promises of God. Live within His story. And resist the temptation to create your own story. God's written it. Jump in. Don't overanalyze it. He's very clear. Jump in. And then last, be faithful where you are. Be faithful where you are. Let's stand. As you leave this morning... I want to pray this prayer over you as an elder of our church. And if you bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to choose us as your sons and daughters. And thank you, God, that through this love, you would put us in and among this body of believers that we can live life with. And I pray today that as we go forth, that we would go forth with great faith. That we would go forth with this vision to reach Simi and the surrounding areas with the gospel. That we would leave believing that that happens one person at a time telling this story. I pray that you would give us a revised heart for our families and our friends and our neighbors who need to hear the story. And I pray that as we speak and open our mouths that you would give us a holy boldness, that you would give us a fearless attitude drenched with humility, drenched with love and compassion. Let us, your people, Lord, love you well and serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.